Uh, some teachers have been told that uh, they're not allowed to teach online uh, because not all of their students can go online. Of course, that's perfectly right. We can't have digital divides yawning even bigger because of this current crisis. And there may be different ways of reaching different students. So it may be possible to have some students online as long as all the other students are being equally supported in other ways. Kia ora from New Zealand and welcome to the Fernware Learning Lab hosted by Bill. And Kelly, Fernware's research and insights team. In this podcast, you'll meet some of the world's leading educationalists who will be sharing their stories of inspiration and insights for the future with some practical advice for the classroom. So kia ora. how are you, um, Kelly? Along with um, the Tooth Fairy, the Easter Bunny was designated essential, um, so uh, did you get any chocolates? There was definite chocolate delivery, and my youngest lost a tooth last week, and fortuitously there was um, the $2 that the Tooth Fairy had on her and delivered, so that was very good, yeah. So, um, and how have you been, Bill? Yeah, well, we had um, some lint bunnies stashed away I've been I've been trying to find them but they were hidden very carefully and uh, out they come at Easter Sunday so so that was good I particularly like the ears oh brilliant well we hope that all of our listeners had lovely Easter's wherever you were and hopefully the Easter Bunny managed to deliver you some little treats as well um, or you had something a little bit special to celebrate with your, you and your significant others in your bubbles. So this week we're back to it. It's, it's um, it obviously depends on, on which jurisdiction you're in, but uh, lots of schools, uh, the teachers are ready for it. It's remote learning time, right? It is, it is. I guess, you know, there probably wasn't very much break um, going on for a lot of educators. They would have been trying to gear up for term two. You know, I think people just have um, a lot more respect for educators and education in, on the whole. Hi respect for educators. Uh, this week we caught up with Dr David Parsons from Mind Lab in New Zealand. Uh, David runs the postgraduate course there for in-service educators for teachers and it's all about digital learning and collaboration. So let's get into it. David, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and how do we address you? Um, Dr Parsons, professor? You can call me Dave, that's fine. <laughs> Excellent. Dave, tell us a little about MindLab, how it came to be, the partnerships you had with Unitech and the Next Foundation. Yeah, so the MindLab's um, been an interesting journey. So it first started in 2013, and it was just a private uh, enterprise, and it was teaching kids in in the lab that we originally had in Auckland. Uh, They did spread through the country a little bit later to other locations, and it was about teaching digital, media, science, creativity, really a whole bunch of kind of constructivist things that kids can come and do. Um, and school groups used to come in quite regularly and teachers were going, oh, this is this is great, but, you know, I'd quite like to do this myself. Yeah. Um, and so that's where the partnership uh, came with Unitech. Um, so in 2014, the uh, postgraduate certificate in digital and collaborative learning was first offered uh, in partnership with Unitech. And in 2015, we had a very generous uh, set of um, scholarships provided by the Next Foundation that sustained our teachers over the next four years or so. Uh, And so far through that program, um, we've had about 5,000 teachers through the program. Um, Those partnerships are now over uh, since the uh, sort of reorganization of the polytechnic sector. Um, 
we separated from Unitech and we're now a private training establishment, but we're continuing in exactly the same way with our qualifications approved through NZQA and supported by TEC. So from a student perspective, there's no real difference. Uh, from our perspective, yeah. it means we can kind of pursue new qualifications and new ideas uh, in, in a relatively flexible manner. Although we, the partnership with Unitech was a fantastic way of, of getting the organization to grow and become mature enough to operate on its own. So what's your background, Dave? How did you come into the picture? So my background is really in IT. I mean, for many years, I was uh, an academic and a practitioner in the IT industry, um, working for a number of universities and also uh, commercial organizations around the world. Um, came to New Zealand from the UK in uh, 2003, worked for Massey University. Um, and uh, I, But I started becoming very interested in how to use IT for teaching and learning. And so over the sort of 12 years or so that I was at Massey, I became much more engaged in that area. And that's what uh, made me choose to join MindLab in 2015, um, because I'd really become fascinated by what do these tools provide us with in terms of teaching and learning in the 21st century. And now you run the postgrad course for digital and collaborative learning. So tell us about that. Sure, yes. So um, this this course is for in-service educators. Most of them are school teachers, but they don't have to be. Uh, we've had educators from museums and libraries and various other areas too. And the basic intent of this program is it's really about pedagogy. It's about what's it like to teach and learn in the third decade of the 21st century. Um, so that's really why digital, of course, comes to the fore because of the society that we're in. But equally, you know, collaboration is such an important skill. And so it's not just about the technologies, it's about the skills and competencies that students will need in the future. And it's also really about what, the, what skills and competencies do teachers need to cope with that change. And so the emphasis is also on their leadership and their understanding of their own leadership. Uh, all teachers are leaders, even if they're just leading the students in their classroom, they must have leadership skills. Um, and we also emphasize teachers being research informed and being reflective practitioners because it's it's having those skills that enable them to embrace change and to move forward really without fear and mm. without feeling that they can be undermined by if you like the questions that surround them in society, lots of people don't like education to change. They expect everything else to change, but not education mm -hmm. because it's a bit like, you know, everybody thinks they know about parenting who's had kids. Everybody thinks they know about education if they've been to school, yeah. which is like everybody. Uh, and so there's lots of opinions out there. So teachers really have to be able to stand their ground and understand why they're doing something and why that's going to be the right step forward for them and their students. Mm. As ever, the answer is that mixture of people, skills and hard technology, isn't it? You've got to have the both. Yes, it is. And, I, and actually, maybe the hard technology is probably slightly the wrong term. In a sense, what we perhaps say is we try to choose soft technology. That is, it's not really about the technology. It's about if you want to um, deliver some learning now, what kinds of tools can help you to do that? And we try to choose as much as we can ones that are very easy to use. Um, now that's not 100%, for example, because of the changes to the curriculum and the digital technologies, we do make sure that we include robotics and coding and some other things that may be a bit more challenging, electronics, that sort of thing. But on the whole, what we're looking for is, 
if I want to achieve this with my students, is there a tool that can help me? And if there is, is it one that's going to be really easy for them and me as a teacher to adopt quickly? So not hard technology at all, um, <laughs> making technology easy. Yeah, yeah, I think so, because nobody wants it to be all about the technology. Um, you know, that there are skills that students need to understand about technology and, and coding is one of those skills and also understanding of electronic devices and how they communicate the internet of things, all of those things. But ultimately it's about um, the tools that can help us be productive, not just in learning about technology, but in learning about anything. Do you find that teachers find it quite overwhelming, especially at the moment in the current situation where it's all moved to distance learning? How do you even navigate what to use for what student at what age? You're right. That's a big challenge for teachers at the moment. And I think that's a challenge that, that you know, our alumni and our students luckily are able to face. And um, I think one of the interesting things is the way that many of our students are suddenly flavour of the month in their schools. Um, you know, suddenly they're the go-to person. You know, in the past they were regarded as that, you know, well, that teacher that went off and did that program, but we're not interested in any of that. And suddenly everybody's interested in that. So how has your organisation responded to the current situation? Yeah, so this has been really interesting what's happened currently because we've we've been, if you like, substantially an online learning organisation for some time. Um, but we have retain some face-to-face uh, -face teaching components and they've often been seen to be really important to both us and the teachers and I, I sort of perceived a little bit of reluctance in the past for teachers to let go of the face-to-face -face entirely uh, but now that it's kind of a fait accompli I think um, they're recognizing the, the huge value of that and so one of the things that, that we've been doing is obviously we've moved all of our delivery online um, and that's been not a big change for us because many of our programs were running online already, but even the ones that weren't, um, the students have responded really strongly to it. You know, they've really been enjoying the ability to study online. So strangely enough, it's been a real positive, not just for us, but also for many of our students. How have your past and present students been able to respond to the current situation? Yeah, so I think this has been, again, a really satisfying aspect. I mean, Obviously, things are quite stressful at the moment, but a lot of our students that we've got at the moment have said that the way that we've modelled online learning has really helped them to understand how to deliver teaching online in an interactive way so it feels like the classroom. So one thing that we've always avoided is the sort of the webinar style of online learning where you just yeah. sort of present. The digital tool that we use, fortunately, supports breakout rooms, and I think that's such a powerful aspect um, of teaching and learning online if you can put students into their own virtual rooms where they can work together on on activities and create things together using digital tools uh, that really makes the experience so much more valuable and so many of them say yeah we, we do our sessions are only an hour because online sessions you know it's, they can be a bit intense and they often say that hour just goes by so quick so that modeling has been very useful and as I sort of touched on before our alumni who have been through the program before and are known in their schools as being the people who've done the program and in some schools that's a lot of them we've had some schools that have had huge numbers of staff going through they're the ones who are now able to make this transition very quickly and they're the ones that are able to support their colleagues so 
it's been really satisfying to see that outcome for our students that they're now really being recognized for the skills and the competencies that they developed and their past commitments to embracing that change in their schools. I really, really get the sense that it's, uh, you know, cometh the hour, cometh the uh, man or woman. Uh, you know, it's their time, isn't it, those um, alumni? You're absolutely right. It's it's something, that obviously, that we've we've been trying to get the message out for a long time, that, you know, these changes are necessary. And, of course, the current crisis has, has shown just how necessary those skills are. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's great to see that many of them are now really being recognised for those those skills. The clock is ticking. There's, we've had a bit of a respite and we've got Easter coming up. And then as soon as Easter's finished, then we're back into it again. Um, so what do all the um, schools need to consider in their planning to, so that I mean, the parents are going spare at home with the kids? You know, they really want everyone to get back to a structure. Yeah. And of course, it, it's very dependent on the type of school and the type of um, student body that that school has because there's different levels that schools can operate on. And of course, they're all addressing this is, you know, they are busy preparing for the term. And of course, if you have a school where, you know, perhaps a high decile area where you know that your students all have access to the internet and possibly all have their own laptops and so on, then of course, moving to online learning is a, is a very straightforward process. Uh, there's plenty of tools to enable you to do that. But of course, that's not the case across the country. There are many, many schools where students have limited or even no internet access. They have limited or no access to devices. And so schools are having to operate in a way that's appropriate to those students. Um, and of course, that means that for many schools, they're having to try and get out printed workbooks and other materials to students who have no other way of learning. Uh, some teachers have been told that uh, they're not allowed to teach online. Uh, because not all of their students can go online and of course that's perfectly right you know mm. we can't we can't have digital devices yawning even bigger because of this current crisis and so of course it's decisions that have to be made on a case-by-case -case basis in every school in every class by every teacher and for every student and there may be different ways of reaching different students so it may be possible to have some students online as long as all the other students are being equally supported in other ways. Mm. As you can appreciate, that's a massive task for mm. schools and teachers, and I'm sure it will take some time to work out. But I, I do know how hard teachers and schools are already working on this. You know, I mean, it's not as if they're all sitting at home waiting for term to start. Mm. Uh, there's a, there is so much work going on behind the scenes and schools are doing their very best. Uh, to be as, as prepared as they can be to take those students back into learning after Easter. I've heard, seen you talk before and you talk about the right tools for the right task, like using not just tech for tech's sake, but, you know, learning from everywhere. What are the best practice and best platforms, do you think? Well, I think that the situation is always, yes, as you say, the right tool for the right job. And if, if it's something that you're kind of starting out at, then the obvious tools are the ones that your school already uses. So, for example, many schools will be using Google Suite. Uh, other schools might be Microsoft schools. Many teachers use Seesaw as a way of reaching out to uh, family and whanau. And uh, it, it's really, if, you know, for teachers who are maybe, you know, just starting out, making sure that they are able to use the materials that are available already 
in their school. So maybe there are other teachers using things. Maybe the school already provides a learning management system that maybe in the past they haven't really engaged with. So I think that's probably step one is for teachers to make sure that they're using the things that they that are already there mm. and that they can get support with. Uh, and then maybe the next step is to get advice from other teachers in the school or there are plenty of networks also there are um, Twitter groups and Facebook groups and so on of teachers who can you know give you advice so as always it's about reaching out to that community of practice you know that there are plenty of um, you know cross school groupings these days um, that allow teachers to communicate with teachers from other schools kind of echo those kinds of things um, so I think it's really a question of this is the time to reach out to others if you're a teacher, if you don't know what tools to use, if you're not quite sure. You know, there's there's plenty of help out there if you just go out and look for it. Yeah, good advice. There might even be a Mind Lab graduate in your school. Who there might be. <laughs> that would be very handy. You, you talk a lot about, um, you know, synchronous versus asynchronous. Could Could you explain a bit more um david what's the the theory there yeah so uh, some people kind of i think get the impression that you know schools will have to go online and kids will be online all day you know in virtual classes and of course that's it's not even practical but it's not even a good idea uh so the synchronous where you're kind of online face to face is great but in small doses in many ways when you teach online less is more I've heard, you know, people, homeschoolers often say that, you know, your formal learning a day is only about a couple of hours and the rest of it is informal learning. And uh, I think the same applies to the situation we're in now. You know, no teacher should feel that they're obliged to try and spend hours and hours with their students. Of course, their students will have, I mean, if you're a secondary teacher, it's really difficult. You have to balance with all the other secondary teachers. But even if you're a primary teacher, um, that, that synchronous should be really limited and really valuable. Make the absolute most of that synchronous time. And the asynchronous is making sure that the students know what it is that you would like them to do and giving them the time and the space to do it in the, at the pace they want to do it and asking for the support they need when they need it. I think, yeah, the, the synchronous part of it is, is probably the smaller part. And um, the asynchronous part is really where the, the learning mostly takes place. And some teachers are just really using synchronous for the, the sort of, you know, the social interaction, the support, making sure their students feel secure and, and not anxious and so on. I, I know so many students have been freaked by the reaction of adults to this. Um, you know that you know I've been told by teachers particularly with younger kids that kids are coming in all thinking they're going to die and I mean that's you know that's because the utter irresponsibility of grown-ups really isn't it and so you know those students need the reassurance from teachers and in a sense maybe the the online time is more valuable spent uh, in that sustaining the relationships and supporting the students emotionally and socially and the, you know, the teaching and learning content uh, is the stuff that can be done um, in a more asynchronous manner. Because, of course, if children are anxious and worried, they're not going to learn. Absolutely right. Yeah. So really, if you can't, if you can't reassure your students and make them feel comfortable about what's happening around them, then, as you say, they're not going to learn anyway. So it really does have to be the, the priority. And if you can't reach them face to face, can you reach them with a text message? Can you phone them up? Can you get a message through a family member? You know, it's really about reaching out and trying to to contact those students socially first, educationally second, I guess. 
Yeah, I, I was thinking um, we, we were speaking about that sort of percentage of time online. Is it, is it like almost Pareto principle, 20% um, synchronous and, and 80% asynchronous? I think that will be a good guideline, actually. Yes, I think that, you know, that does make sense. Um, you also have to bear in mind that in many households, you know, access to the computer with the internet on it might be at a premium. So there might be two adults working from home. There might be multiple siblings, you know, also needing to um, learn with an internet connection. And so there's going to be a lot of competition in some households. Yeah, my copper ADSL connection crashes out all the time. So <laughs> sometimes I jump straight onto onto my phone if that happens. So yeah, you have to be really careful about the amount of bandwidth you expect your students to have available, even if you know they're in a household that normally has those those tools. So yeah, you're right. I think eighty twenty. Yeah, it's it's a good rule of thumb to start with. Yeah, affordances and learning theories. So. How, how do we ensure equality for every learner? Well, of course, that's, that's not a question that just arises now, is it? Equity is, is so difficult. And, you know, New Zealand, if you, if you travel around New Zealand and go to different schools, you get this really sort of profound sense of inequity in teaching and learning. And this is only going to make things worse. I mean, if you're talking about, um, well, I think there's two things there, isn't it? You mentioned both learning theories and affordances. So, I mean, if you look at learning theories, I mean, we... We at the Mind Lab really base most of our learning is really about constructivism and constructionism, where you know you construct your own learning, but you often do that by making an artifact, and that's often where those digital tools come in. You know, you're not you're not passively uh, sort of absorbing, but you're creating your own understanding and you're representing that using digital tools. Whether that's just a shared document, whether it's a mind map, whether it's a video, whatever it might be, you know, a computer program to run a robot. It's, it's about that sort of constructivism. And, you know, that, that's really at the heart of it is, is giving students an opportunity to continue to build their own knowledge. So whatever materials we provide with them, whether they're synchronous or asynchronous, yeah, not transmission of information, but giving them activities to do where they can build their own knowledge. And, and having built that um, artifact or knowledge or whatever, the um, presentation of that back and, and, and be able to celebrate it, actually online, you, you, you've got a bigger audience, presumably. Yeah, you're right. And I guess that comes into your mention of affordances. All it really means is how do we perceive what we can potentially do with something? And so that's the great challenge, isn't it, with digital tools? What's possible? What can I do? And, and you're right, with, um, with a digital environment, if students produce something, then there's potentially a global audience for it. You know, and, and we see that a lot, that you know, students can do something and it, it can spread around the world. So that's a really powerful thing. But there's also, you know, at a smaller scale, there's, there's the ability to spread things around your community or even just to share with your family and whanau. So I think that's a very powerful thing. And it, and it gives that um, reinforcement and motivation to students to want to engage in activities. And I guess that's where... You know, designing those activities is important because you want to be able to see students doing something that, first of all, they might engage with, but secondly, that they might feel is important enough to them that they then want to share it. So, yeah, I think that sort of affordances context is also, as you say, important, as well as the, the underlying theory that says, well, what kind of teaching and learning should we try to deliver? 
In terms of collaboration, do you, do you find small groups um, going away and collaborating uh, more successful than, than sort of the, the whole class activities? We usually try and do small group activities um, because you, know, you want to make sure that everybody's engaged with something. You, know, you want to make sure that the, a group is of a size where for that particular task, everybody will feel that they are participating. And so, yeah, the small group activities are at the absolute heart of things. But of course, sometimes you do want to have a whole group activity. For example, you know, often we do things like we'll, we'll use a sort of quick online poll to see where we are with students. We might get a bit of feedback from everybody at the same time. They can all see where they stand in comparison to everybody else in terms of what they're interested in or what their reactions are to certain tools or activities. Um, and you know, we, you know, you might have a, a brief uh, whole class discussion. So I think again, it's it's mostly small groups, but now and again, it's nice to get everybody back together, particularly after they've been doing some separate activities, and make them feel that they're actually all again still part of a larger class and all part of the same larger group. Dave, what are your top three takeaways for school leaders, teachers, and students? One I think is don't overdo it. Uh, I think less is more when it comes to distance learning and the situation we're in. So go for quality rather than quantity. If you can only deliver a half an hour of stuff to your students in a day, that's fine. Just make sure it's a really good half an hour. Be organized and focused. So make sure you're focusing on what really matters for you and your students. And as I mentioned before, you know that might not necessarily be learning content all the time. Sometimes that might be about maintaining relationships. So, yeah, I think there's there's some key things in there that you want to think about what's most important to you and your students at this moment mm. today. And the last one, I think, is, you know, don't stress or panic. You know, everything's going to sort itself out in the end. And uh, in this process, we're all going to learn a lot. Very and true. I think, you know, we'll, we'll come out of this as teachers, I think, with, with a whole new skill set and a whole new set of perspectives on what teaching and learning can be like. And I think that's our challenge, isn't it? We, you know, when we're faced with a with a situation like this, it, you know, it's a threat and an opportunity, right? Yeah. So um, we have to treat it as an opportunity because you know it will end, and we will come out of this, and we want to make sure that when we do, we can look back on it and say, well, we did the best we could, and we got, you know, we actually got some positives out of that experience as well as all the negatives. Thanks for listening. Um, we hope you enjoy the rest of your holidays. Um, and for those returning this week, we wish you a really wonderful start to term two. Don't forget to subscribe and download our handy takeouts from David's interview. He's got some really great practical tips to support your teaching and learning in this new era of education. Okay, so next time we will be catching up with Professor Stephen Heppel, Global Educationalist, Advisor to Governments and Education Departments Globally. And he's been doing remote learning from volcanoes from the 1980s. So he has been doing it for 50 years, basically. He knows all about remote and online learning and he's got so much cool stuff to share, right, Kelly? Yeah, he does. He's got his two granddaughters at home with him at the moment who are only four and six and he's been teaching them lots of things. So he's got really clever ideas as well for parents and teachers and educators and just how to um, keep the learning fun I think that's what his main thing was it's different but it can still be fun and I think that's really important at the moment especially for kids you know I think what I'd say to teachers really is you know the, the new world of online learning is still a world of learning and it's still a world of 
doing things and uh, it's still a world of collaborating and sharing and uh, celebrating and all those things that matter in a regular classroom. They matter differently online, but they're still all there. So don't, you know, don't give up on your, your teaching to craft. Don't give up on your craft, you know, hang on to those bits. Just bring them into the new world. Yeah. If you would like to be part of our podcast or you know someone that you think would be a really great guest, we'd love to hear from you. So until next time, take care, keep well and keep collaborating, connecting and communicating. Thanks for listening. Ka kite anō.